Today we are in conversation with Torben Stehmann. He's a computational linguist at Kocharek, a translation company based out of Germany that is focusing more and more on conversational AI. We talk about chatbots beyond English, about how computational language are actually the bridge between design and engineering. Uh, the challenge of multilingual deployments and how we should focus on localization from day one rather than seeing translations as a final step after we've done all the work. Talking to Thorben, I fought back to my professor Guido Snell at the University of Amsterdam. He also worked as a translator translating novels from Slavic languages to Dutch. And he would always say, let's not kid anyone. As a translator, you're just writing a book. It becomes something new. You are, in fact, creating something. With that in mind, how do we make sure that we don't fall into the trap of thinking about multilingual deployments too lightly? So let's jump in. I very much enjoyed this conversation with Torben, and I know you will too. We're here today with Torben Stehmann. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, you too. Yeah, sorry that uh, we, we canceled on you last week, or, or we, we didn't get it scheduled, and we messed up on the planning, but we're here now, so good to see you. Always uh, wonderful to talk to you, so uh, let's, let's see what this 20, 30 minutes is going to take us today. Yeah, let's go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> let's go down the rabbit hole. Well, before we go down the rabbit hole, I guess first question that you know everybody in conversational AI has a completely different background. Yeah. It's always here. Uh, wonderful to hear sort of what, how you ended up in this space and, and how you ended up at Kocharik. Yeah, quite by accident, um, actually. So I started out, uh, I did my master's degree in uh, computational linguistics or, you know, the adjacent field of study. Um, my actual master's was called Sprachtechnologie und Fremdsprachendidaktik, which translates to language, uh, foreign language education and language technology. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was kind of a hybrid between uh, didactics and computational linguistics. Afterwards, I uh, got a job freelance for Limebridge, where I did a bunch of projects, most of which I can't talk about <laughs> at all because I was on the NDA the entire time. Um, but I, I, you know, managed a bunch of projects on a, a language level. So uh, I had different languages that I uh, worked with, and then from there, because freelance wasn't, you know, doing the things I needed it to, mm-hmm. uh, I decided to find a real <laughs> steady job. Um, and Kocharek was hiring uh, specifically because they had a client who sent in a chatbot for translation. Now, Kocharek is a translation agency, mm-hmm. which means we both have in-house translators that translate and external partners for languages that we don't have internally. Um, and then we manage the translation projects. But that they sent in a chatbot for translation. Yeah. So so that, that was the first project. That was that the sort first of... contact we had with, with chatbots. And uh, they had some, some issues with it. Um, the client sent in data that first they didn't know was a chatbot. So they translated it just thinking it was any other Excel file. Uh-huh. Uh, and it turned out that the other half of the chatbot that didn't end up with us was translated by, mach- by a machine. So they, the two didn't mesh and the bot was just a disaster. So they kind of 
regrouped, reconfigured, and said, okay, we need to have this professionally localized from top to bottom. And uh, that's about the time when I joined. So that, that's very interesting. So a client actually just send in, you know, here's words and sentences that need just, to be Exactly. Here's words. Please, <laughs> please make words other language. Yes, and, that's, and did, uh, yeah. And, and did it just go to one language or was it immediately like... Uh, it was first uh, translated to one language. And then once we proved that we had a, a working process that actually produced results that are you know, workable, uh, we got a lot more. Uh, we language, uh, the, the first language was Polish. And then now we've localized into a bunch of different variants, um, like German for Swiss also, um, French, two different kinds, Swiss and regular, um, Russian, Czech, Dutch as well, um, both you- for Belgium and the Netherlands, I think. Yeah. And, and so how many languages do you guys cover then? Because we're already, I think, at 10 plus right now. So how do yeah, you exa- yeah, yeah. So we, as an agency, we have some in-house translators. So we have some uh, English, English. so German always being the uh, default, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, so German, English, uh, French, uh, one Russian, um, and uh, Italian, Swedish, uh, yeah, that, Spanish, those are the ones that we usually cover. But anything else, um, and even those, sometimes we uh, subcontract to outside partners in, in different regions. So, for example, if we need to have a localization for Spanish, Spain, we can maybe provide that internally. But if we need it for Mexico, yeah, yeah. the... It's a different story. Yeah, exactly. And, and everybody at Coacheric, all, all those languages mentioned, those are actually certified conversation designers and, and have access to that. So they have lots of expertise and can help with all the chatbots and, and, and voice issues. And yeah, the, this part. is something that we that we are trying to build up now so that, that when we have projects that come in in new languages, we also have someone that, that can look into the language with a conversation design aspect in mind. Um, but for many languages, of course, if, if, for example, somebody comes to us and wants a translation for Thai for a chatbot, we would yeah. have to, you know, set up a whole uh, infrastructure, brief the Thai translators in Thailand, um, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, because what in, in general, because, you know, if you do websites or whatever content, you know, that, that you're localiz- localizing and translating, there, there is brand, there is tone of voice, there is uh, structuring of information. So a lot of it is the same, but where is the is the big difference, would you say, between translating for conversational AI rather than something else? Um, one of the things that was the initial problem with the Polish translation, for example, was that different languages have different grammatical structures that you need to add more info or subtract info. For example, in the Slavic languages, when you speak in the past tense, the verbs all take a gender. So that means you need to know the gender of the person talking. Mm -hmm. And ideally, you would also need to know the gender of the person you're talking to. That's one of those things, uh, as well as um, formal and informal speech. Um, you know, is the bot universally using the same forms to address someone? Sure, that's also something that you might want to check in an email and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- those are just technically sometimes also challenging, not just from a from a design standpoint. But how do I actually once I have the translated uh, file? 
how do I actually make sure that that's working in the infrastructure of the bot? Yeah, because that's the trick. Because you know, we always say with conversational AI, because there's limited real estate. You know, whatever mm-hmm. you communicate, the stakes just rise, right? It's more important to get it right. But then also because the nature of conversations. Uh, grammatical challenges in, in various languages increase as well. So if you're, you know, having a dealing with multilingual conversational AI, you have pretty much you know, an, an exponential growth of of challenges in a way, right? Yeah. And and how yeah. do you? Because uh, you have the gender issue. Lots lots of languages have that, and the formal versus non formal. I, I think people that you know are in the U.S. and just speak English have no idea, maybe even what we're talking about. So. That's that's one of the things that I always find is very much at the core of all that is an issue with language technology. Everything is demoed and prototyped on English. Yeah, and it works great. Most of it works great on English. Just adding one language more, usually you realize, oh, that's kind of that sounds rough. Someone is being addressed. Like you always have to add like these uh, these slashes to add both genders, and it doesn't look so great. Um, yeah. And and then so if you know, I guess most big enterprises operate in you know different countries and and deal with these languages. What do you in general see the mistake they they make? Just thinking too lightly about it, or, or what is? The... I think generally speaking, language and translation and localization in our uh, in the field of bots, we don't usually like to talk about translation because localization is more accurate in this in this case. Um, what they think or seem to think is that that's the last step and it's not an important one. So they they first, okay, we need a bot. All right, what do we need? Bot is a piece of technology. So we need engineers, you know, IT people. All right, stuff the room with IT people. They crank out a bot. Um, maybe the prompts aren't that well written, but we have some copywriters on hand that can do that. All right, all right, it's done. Send it off to translation. Whatever comes back from translation, that's the last word. (laughs) Just put that up and it's done. How much do you need to translate that? Five hours is enough, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's somewhat the approach that uh, I I feel many companies still have because they they don't think about a translation basically just being a rewrite in another language. Yeah, you're doing the whole thing again. Yeah, yeah. That's that's also with uh, you know with bot personality and then some of the larger brands that we've worked with. You know that defines tone of voice, which is kind of the breathing again for each language again. Mm-hmm. But it's also you know if you have the brand have you know global core values, they manifest themselves differently in different cultures, right? So yeah, definitely. You know, being, being open and and loyal might mean something completely different in Thailand than in the U.S. than in Brazil, right? So having these fundamental values and manifesting themselves and using that as a brief for your wording uh, is complicated as it is. Yeah. And, and But you do want to maintain it within the same structure in a chatbot platform. I mean, definitely once we talk about Asian languages, um, which I'm not uh, super versed on, but I know some basic stuff, um, that they operate very differently from our Western understanding of how languages work. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of stuff can be quite different there that we don't think about at all. Um, one thing that I know, for example, it's a, it's a funny anecdote that one of my professors told um, once is, uh, you know, as a German, he was very, 
he was very eager to get to the point. Like he, he yeah. didn't want to waste time and, you know, just have small talk for the sake of it. So when he was teaching in Canada, he had a sign on his door that basically said, don't think I'm rude to you when I'm telling <laughs> you to shut up and get to the point. Because, you know, you would have office hours for maybe an hour, hour and a half. People would come in and say, oh, hey, how are you? Oh, hi, I'm great. How are you? Oh, the weather is so great. Two minutes of your life gone, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he would have 15 people waiting outside wanting to talk about the theses. So he's like, get to the point so I can mm -hmm. get done with you and get the next person in here. It's faster for everyone. I'm not being rude to you. I'm just German. <laughs> and I feel like that's something uh, that, that is very applicable to bots. You know, you want, you want your bot to be chatty, but maybe your, your target audience in another country actually doesn't appreciate that at all. And you need yeah. to change courses there. Yeah, because that's already an issue with specific use cases, right? So sometimes in customer service, when people, you know, they have a problem, so they're reaching out. So they are intrinsically motivated already to talk mm -hmm. to you. So all you have to do is kind of facilitate that journey uh, and, and make sure, you know, that, that it is consistent, etc. But if you're doing more sales conversations, then people are not as motivated. So you need to work a little harder and, and usually you know, persuade them more and add the chattiness and the personality to get people in a conversation with you. So there's yeah. already the, the dynamic of the type of use cases, but then there's also the dynamics of the various cultures and languages of what people prefer. Um, so then I guess an interesting question becomes, because I think a lot of these chatbots, you know, they're very hyped on, uh, you do one intent architecture, and, you know, if you recognize it in German, then you just give the German response. But I guess then there's a cutoff point where, you know, are you staying within the same intent structure or are you just rebuilding the whole thing for a different language? Yeah. So what we've done so far, uh, because the bots that we've been translating so far aren't, uh, aren't so super complex that, that that would be a necessity, is just do that. Let's just find all the utterances translate some of them so they have a baseline to start AI training on. Mm -hmm. And then we um, translate the, uh, the actual replies to fit the persona and to make sure that what's communicated in the original language is also communicated there. And then uh, also what we have as a like, final step is uh, called the in-country review. Basically, if the customer uh, has an operation set up in a country mm -hmm. that they want the localization for, we can then provide our first draft or second draft or whatever draft to the um, employees of the company in that, uh, in that country. And they can go through and say, oh, well, the, those phone numbers obviously need to change because we're in a different country. Those email addresses need to change because we have a different customer um, support address. Um, we have uh, this product, but not that one. So we need to change this. Uh, this one we need to take out completely. Uh, there is an, there's a call here uh, for, for action that we don't yeah. support on our website. So we can't have an API call here. So they take that stuff out or yeah. put new stuff in. That's, that's the final step. But you know, depending on how complex the bot is, that might not be necessary at all. Yeah, but it, you say it's the final step. If we look at the conversation design workflow, you know, there's happy conversation design, detailed conversation design. We usually see after happy conversation design where you get stakeholder sign off, like mm -hmm. does this make sense, et cetera, et cetera. Are we on the same page? Uh, once that's okay, 
then we start going to detailed conversation design where we start training the model, where we start figuring, you know, when do we hand people over to a website or, or a different channel? Um, so you're using all that input from the stakeholders to then do detailed conversation design. Right. Uh, AI assistants, like chatbots and voice assistants, need conversation designers to create good customer experiences. Conversation Design Institute teaches a human-centric workflow that has proven itself to organizations around the world. Become a certified professional. Join one of our online courses or work with our experts. Conversation design is the future. Are you ready? Then I guess another interesting thing in terms of localization and these translation issues is how do you train the model? Where do you get, you know, if you have the utterances, turning them into training phrases, you're going to be working with all these different markets. Yes. And that's one of the things that we haven't been involved with uh, as much yet, because depending on how the what clients approach us and and what their internal structure is, they might have uh, internal engineers that we can communicate with directly. They might outsource that stuff, and then we need to you know talk to to the engineers that they uh, hired, um, and they might not want to give us access directly to their platform, so we can't do the AI training. Uh, we have to kind of teach others to do it. Uh, and then, yeah, that, that very much depends on what the client is willing uh, to let us do. Yeah, so that, that's interesting. So even if you work in these different countries and different languages, you have a sort of a, a practical challenge of completely different people being involved. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, you know, customer service, the actual department is not even involved with the deployment of a little chatbot under a website. Uh, so you need to sort of find the right people and navigate that. So you're going to have lots of delays. But then there's also the theoretical challenge, or theoretical challenge, the actual training phrases. If we look at, you know, we want our AI mm -hmm. systems to be inclusive, uh, just in general, you know, how do we understand the different nuances within a local culture that everybody feels, you know, that we understand what everybody says so people can all feel understood. Yeah. Um, so you, so you sort of have, you know, how do you make it inclusive, which is a similar multilingual challenge, um, I guess, as one actually designing conversations. Yeah, I mean, the prototype uh, example for this is always the, the um, whole data sets in English are trained on the so-called white man English. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to, to mix that up, you want some, you know, black women in there and, uh, you know, Hispanics to mix that up. You need to know what are actually the minorities in the country that we're localizing to? Like for German, you would probably want to have some Turkish immigrants speak in there, like just have some, some data on, from them. Um, we have a lot of influx now from, uh, from Syria and other places. Um, and yeah, so yeah. Yeah, and, and, and which, which people do you pick for that? Yeah, and, and uh, I guess to be clear, it doesn't mean that a German chatbot needs to understand Syrian. or uh, No, refugee. right, but how would a Syrian refugee that learned German three years ago speak to the bot and would that still recognize it? Yeah, and, and part of that is, you know, just understanding what someone says. But, you know, imagine, and I think, you know, when we, when we think about empathy and AI and, and data, imagine that you are, you know, you re need to reach out to government. Uh, there's some issue with, you know, where do I stay or I can't pay a bill. It's, it's very emotionally 
uh, charged mm. already, already, right? It's a difficult conversation to have. And then somebody, you know, takes the time and effort, uh, puts in the effort to reach out and talk to someone. But the German isn't perfect. And therefore, you know, you're completely ignored by a chatbot that doesn't understand you, right? So the implications of not training, you know, for these things and not understanding what people say. It's not just, oh, wait, you know, if, if you look at the data, it's like, oh, it's just a conversation that we didn't, an intent that we didn't pick up. It's yeah. like, no, you actually insulted or hurt someone's identity by not actually considering them when you were training the model, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's a lot of, it's important to emphasize that I always feel, because I think a lot of companies are, are not aware. Yeah, it's, they're still trying to, you know, trying to educate people on, on seeing users as people, right? It's like, you're not talking to, you, only drug dealers have users, right? That's always the, that's always the phrase. It's like, no, you're actually, I need to remember that. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, you're talking to people, and if you just ignore what they say, you're not trained for it, and you're not equipped to, then, you know, it's a serious problem, and you need to rethink that. So when you, uh, you know, as, as a multilingual AI trainer, I guess that's sort of, you know, what you, what you guys mm-hmm. do. Um, how do you fit in the teams? Because you're always working with, you know, design teams a lot of times, right? So you, you have, you know, some conversation design expertise and the copywriting. You have those people there. Um, but then you're also working with the different design teams and you're working with sort of the data teams on, on, on both sides, right? Uh, what's your take on that? Like, I guess the question is, who do you who do you take your your briefings from? Do you take them from the engineers or more of the designers? Well, uh, I think the uh, the job description that I have, well, the whole idea behind computational linguistic is to be the bridge between designers and uh, linguistics. That's mm-hmm. that's just uh, you want the, uh, the linguists to be able to adapt to the technological possibilities and maybe refrain from doing things that are just outright impossible in the technological tool mm-hmm. that you're using. And you want to educate them on that and give them advice. On the other hand, you want to you know, sensibilize the uh, engineers to language and say like, yeah, you could do it this way, but it sounds weird and doesn't you know, evoke enough emotion. And our you know, copywriters came up with this great portfolio in, on, on prompts and, and phrases to say, none of which work if we do it like in a simplistic way, right? So you need to kind of bridge yeah. the gap between those two factions. So yeah, it's kind of both. Um, yeah, and do you then, uh, you know, sort of, you know, there's obviously different types of technologies, right? Some are, you know, Raza is is very much an engineering, engineer's yeah. platform. So the, the gap from from the engineering side to it to the design is it's that's a big bridge to build in a way. And right? that's where Sometimes. all sorts of companies spring up now, where you can, you know, where you have your nice GUIs, uh, both both to deal with Raza and other such uh, um, template only um, platforms, or you have things like uh, our partner Cognigy and, and uh, bot friends who, who just make the entire GUI and provide integrations, NLU and stuff like that out of the box to kind of facilitate. You know. We have engineers who can do great things, but there's also you know, copywriters uh, who can just work with our tool and, and produce a bot even though they don't know how to code. Yeah. And, and do you see uh, with one or the other side of the spectrum uh, the challenges for for the multilingual stuff 
uh, increase or decrease. Because I can also imagine that, you know, if, if you're really working with an engineer's platform, that once you figured out the multilingual differences in syntax, that it might be easier to implement or customize these things, or, or maybe it's the other way around. I don't, I don't know. Um, that that strongly depends on your use cases and what you actually want to do. Like uh, I have a, a series on a YouTube channel where I'm uh, mostly working with Cognigy AI, where I'm trying to find like curious language specific use cases and try to emulate them mm-hmm. and, and kind of show people that it's possible to do. Um, what are, what are some of the use cases like that? What are, what's For example, um, what we were talking about earlier with uh, with the specific grammatical uh, things in language, um, I, I had this uh, example. I, I've seen this a bunch of times already. You know, when you're when you're starting to research what what are chatbots, what is conversation design, you get a lot of these um, demos where somebody orders pizza through a bot. That's usually one of them. Um, yeah. Or, or they, they want to order a phone or some other technological device. And what always happens in those is once you have your order confirmed, the bot parrots it back to you so you can confirm it. You know? yeah. And those, those uh, messages, they need to be, you, they, you can't hard code all of them. They need to be generated from a data set. So you have a data set, let's take the pizza, right? You have your, uh, maybe your restaurant has pizzas and burgers, and then you have that's different terrible, That's a terrible restaurant, man. Never go, <laughs> never go to a place that sells both pizzas and burgers. Um, but let's say, <laughs> let's say they have those two categories and they have different toppings for each, right? So you just record first, does the user want a pizza or a burger? And then what goes onto that? And then at the end, it just says, oh, so you ordered a burger with uh, fries uh, and no cheese. So this message in English is relatively easy to build mm-hmm. because you know all of the words and they don't change at all. You can just plug them in. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Try that in German. <laughs> not, <laughs> only, not only do you need to know what gender are they because they, they have different uh, articles in front of them, uh, determiners. Um, b- but sometimes if they change from singular to plural, you, you might need to change the stem of the word. Um, yeah, it's wild. So that stuff, uh, how, do I, how do I get my bot to, to reply in grammatically correct sentences? Uh, I could, of course, say, so you ordered, colon, burger, slash, yeah, yeah. no cheese. Right? But that doesn't sound great. And if you're using a voice app, for example, that's just, that's, that's a no. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. So so we're using a lot of times English as our default language, which is a pretty simple language. Should we use the most complicated one and use that as our <laughs> default language and then the rest of it is sort of simple? I think there is there is a good argument to be made that if you speak another language than English, you should always be thinking about how would I do this in my own language? Mm. That's that's like the minimum baseline I would I would like. I don't speak Finnish or Korean, but I know those are agglutinative language like uh, Turkish and Hungarian as well. So so they work very differently. So if I'm a Finnish native speaker and I built a bot in English, can I actually do that in Finnish, or would that would I run into problems? Where would I run into problems? And then try and fix those before they come up. 
That, yeah, so always, almost like you do a Wizard of Oz test for each mm-hmm. design, right? You, you create your first draft and then you test it out with people, with five to ten people, and usually you discover like a hundred things that are wrong with it so you can fix it. And it's, it's a good sanity check, right? Because the, the yeah. first person you test it with, they say something that you hadn't considered and you're, you're back to the drawing board. So you could do that. You could be your own Wizard of Oz tester in a from a language point of view, where it's like, okay, if now just do this conversation in Dutch for me, uh, does it yeah. make sense? Uh, and and then maybe if you got a German friend, uh, you know, bring in two extra languages, see if it still holds up. And if that's the case, then just c- continue on the path that you're on because you're making something that is translocalizable. Is that a word? Localizable. Sure, it is now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So yeah, definitely. Anywhere where you where you have variables in your in your conversation design, that's usually yeah. that's that's a giveaway. Like, think about if that actually works in any other language that you know. And that's interesting because then, if you look at you know AI ethics and, and inclusivity, you want your design team to be diverse, right? You know, it helps. You know, the example that you heard earlier, you know, have instead of a white, just white men in the room, have the black woman and have the Hispanic and the, I don't know what else was on your list. Um, but then now, as part of that inclusive design team, you should also have them, you know, work in different languages. They should also have different languages that they bring to that team to do a sanity check on, on the core structure of the designs. Does that yeah, make and I sense? think for for companies in Europe, that's actually not that big of a deal. I think they just need to be willing to do it because most most companies I feel are multilingual enough already to facilitate that. Yeah, and and not they don't need to be on paper. You know, usually if you, if you're a big conglomerate, you might have a corporate language that's English, and then you know your different offices obviously operate in their local language every day but that means um you have people on staff already who speak different languages yeah so and, and, they and, don't and, even need to be like super conversed in conversation design they they can just give you their opinion on a language yeah that makes a ton of sense and then if cuz if you you know let's let's say like 5 years from now every company is looking to create you know automate 85% of conversations make them personal make them transactional if that is really the path you're going to go down and you're going to do that in all these different markets thinking about these things already now like creating the operational structure and the technology technological structure to be able to do this multilingual operation um do you, do you think we're at the point now already that it is crucial to start investing in that or is it just create some awareness and know that this is going to be a big problem down the line? How urgent is this? Like, That's a that's a good question. I, I honestly don't know. The Definitely awareness is, is key. If you don't know that there might be a problem, then you're just going to run into traps. So, yeah. And and once the, the project has been designed to a certain extent, let's say you, you started in English, you have your bot for three years, going great. Now you add French and Russian. Nothing's working. All the all the infrastructure that you've built for the bot, like all the flows, uh, you can't just plug in Russian sentences because the way that it operates just doesn't jive with the language. Then what? Yeah. You would have to start from scratch and, and start anew. That's not, that's not great. So if you had thought about you know maybe some things in in uh, the first stages, you could have avoided that. 
Yeah. I mean, but I guess this goes for all, all every project that every international exactly. corporation yeah. has, right? It's the same traps. And and I don't actually know if uh, if going into projects with a too much of an open mind is also a great idea because you, you do want to, you know, take it one step at a time. You, you might want to think about the future steps and be aware that there might be complications, but also you don't want to be in your head also developing an Arabic version of your bot when you know that it's like five years down the road, right? Yeah. So you don't want to take up too much uh, um, mental capacity. Yeah, so you could be aware that there might be a problem, but it might be yeah. totally fine and it just becomes like a risk analysis and a, a cost, effort, value, metrics that a consultant can help you with. Right? I never yeah. know how to do that. Um, <laughs> Math, uh, it's yeah. magic. Is Matt, so if you uh, if if I'm a uh, you know conversation designer, AI trainer, manager listening to this, um, what, what is there a book that you think we I should read, or maybe a, a different resource that to just mm. educate myself a bit more on this? I'm blanking on books now. Um, I I might have some uh, that that I'm not thinking of right now, but oh, yeah. the uh, it's totally fine. Well, add them in a the description so people yeah, just. Maybe. Uh, Check that one, out. One, one that I wish I had looked up the title, which I, uh, which I kind of love to read and also got very depressed by uh, reading, um, was oh, I'm totally blanking on the title, but it's basically about how experts are often wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's very entertainingly written, but in more of a uh, you know serious uh, subtext because they they discuss like how confident are people and the more confident people are, the more wrong they are, but they are mm. perceived as right more often than not. Um, wow. goes into like the stock market and stuff like that. How people who uh, appear successful often just make huge losses uh, and kind of just got there by accident. Yeah. So the ego gets involved and they start to believe too much in themselves. Yeah, but and also they have just the confidence with there it. are just yeah. naturally random events that we tend to interpret as either reinforcing our behavior or, uh, you know, taking <laughs> as a, as a, a precaution, um, which have nothing to do with what we were doing, but because we kind of internalize them, uh, they kind of shape how we think about things. And then we might actually go down a bad path. Uh, it also goes into things like gambling and um, how our psyche works and how we convince ourselves that we're the greatest at all times. <laughs> it's, it's kind of depressing, but uh, like I said, it's actually an entertaining read because you, you start to think about all the times that uh, you, know, you may have misjudged your own judgment because you, mm. you, you made something that you were initially proud of. And then someone said, oh, that's nah, don't, that doesn't look useful. And then you start doubting yourself. And it's like, did I actually make something that's crap? Oh no. <laughs> that's really, yeah. So, so uh, you'll, you'll find a title. We'll add it to the, yeah. to the notes that I just got me thinking, because now you've got a book that says why the experts are always wrong. I know there's a very popular TED talk that says why the majority of people is always wrong. So I guess that's nobody, yeah. nobody's, nobody's ever right. Um, and, on, and on that note, uh, Torva, it, it was great having you here. Um, today with us um for people go to what's the what's the website where do people find you yeah just, uh, just look for kocharek which is spelled k-o-c-a-r-k um kocharek uh, the german uh, formation it's a gmbh uh, gemeinschaft mit beschränkter haftung um <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, um, you can find us uh, also on LinkedIn. Um, I'm trying to be more active there. And we're now partnered with the CDI, so uh, there should be a backlink also through your website. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of all roads lead to Kucharik. Uh, we'll probably also, one day, yeah. Yeah, we'll probably create some content together as well, more around the in-depth stuff of you know what do I need to think about? How do I make sure that I, I design for all these languages? So uh, yeah, we'll we'll be working a lot together. Thank you so much for for taking yeah, the sure. time today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, wonderful. Be in touch. Hey there, you made it to the end. Congratulations. I really appreciate that. Uh, I know you're busy, so you've listened to a full episode. So congrats on you. Great job. So now what should we talk about? No, I'm just kidding. First of all, thanks. Second of all, if you want to learn more about Conversation Design Institute, I highly recommend that you go to the website, conversationdesigninstitute.com. And there you can sign up for a free account and start your learning journey. So you can learn about, you know, AI training, conversation design, conversational copywriting. There's lots of technology courses. So now that you've gathered these technology agnostic skills, uh, what are you going to do next? You know, are you going to learn about Allen App, Qbox, Raza, Cognigy. We have all these different technology courses as well. So there's a whole, whole portfolio. So I recommend you know going there, creating a free account, watching a few videos. If that's enough for you, great. Uh, if you want more, you can just enroll and become a certified professional. These courses are really good if you are you know an individual designer, writer that wants to learn about conversational AI. But if you're an enterprise and you're looking to skill up your team, uh, lots of enterprises onboard their entire team to these courses to skill them up quickly. And it's also an option to add extra workshops with that and extra coaching sessions. So you quickly get that enterprise team where you want it to be. If that's a little too much, maybe uh, there's also papers you can download on the website, maybe learn a bit about how we've helped Vodafone skill up 100 people in different countries, in different languages, using different technologies, creating the Toby chatbot in apps, on websites, in voice, all these types of things. So you can learn about that too. The best way to stay in touch, follow the podcast. You know, you'll, you'll hear all the latest updates. Uh, say hello on Twitter. H-V-D-A-M is my handle. Stands for Hans von Damme, obviously. Uh, or just type in my name on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I post regularly. I like to engage with people there. Uh, so feel free to do that. So again, thank you so much to for listening to this podcast. You know, happy to meet again for the next one. <laughs> <laughs>